Have you been going around the event and checking out different things? I definitely have. And actually, I wanted to say that, so, you know, we were lucky, you know, we kind of survived. We got through COVID. Um, but our business is online, right? So people were pushed online. I'm sure we can talk about that later. Um, what you've achieved, though, you've taken a business that is inherently face-to-face offline and you've managed to put together an amazing event. So congrats before we go into Yeah, for 100 years. Like, I think more than 100 years, this business has been offline, conference and exhibition. Everyone yeah. tried to, like, put in some online elements, the event app, different things. But, you know, this is all online now. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, like I said to you the other day, I think um, I think there's an advantage, right? Because today I've been working, but I've had step conference on one screen and Yala compare on the other. And I've been able to dip in and out. And I've liked that. And, you know, I think... Um, you know, I, I, I always really struggle with the idea of trying to leave the office to get to conferences. And um, I always love it when I'm there, but it's really hard to leave, right? So I think what I was saying to you the other day, you know, because more and more content has gone online, more and more people are in, uh, using podcasts and other uh, mediums, I've been able to listen to more people that I want to listen to and, and learn more. And I think, um, I think there's something in it, you know. You know, you can't beat the lawn at step conference and chilling and meeting people, but... You know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, but I think like like you were saying, I mean, I think more people will be connected now and more people will listen and watch and hear different things. Uh, because generally, I mean, even myself, like I attend less throughout the year. And yeah. this is my core business uh, because it needs a lot of time to travel, especially if you go into another country. Then you have to go there and, you know, dedicate like a whole few days or a whole week. Uh well, now it's different. You know, I can still go to the same offline events when they come back that I go to, but I can attend tens of other online yeah. events that totally. happen and anywhere in the world. And we've given access to, like, not just us, but any online event. You've given access to a lot of people in different markets. And we've had a lot of these kind of, you know, people within our community that can't afford to, you know, yeah. if you're in Egypt or even Lebanon now with the current situation, like, can't afford to spend this amount of money on a flight on a hotel the, the ticket everything and let alone dedicating a whole week to go and attend the conference but now at a fraction of the cost you can do all that and you can network and you I love can it. watch yeah i love it so how's um, it been for you guys so it's been good uh i was thinking back over you know trying to recall the kind of early days of covid right and certainly lockdown and I was thinking to myself, so, you know, it was easily one of the hardest things we've had to do is navigate the first couple of weeks, right, where there's so much uncertainty. Will we have to close the office or we will? Okay, uh, you know, we've got uh, nearly 100 people and there's call center. There's there's a lot to, to kind of keep moving, right? So um, I was thinking about my memory of, that, you know, that you know specific kind of two, three-week period. And I was thinking to myself that uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but in a weird sadistic way i loved it at the same time because you know i've been doing this since 2011 and i've never had to deal with those challenges right because we've always been allowed to come to the office i've always been able to go and see people and motivate them right so we never thought about it yeah we're gonna end up dealing with these challenges exactly so in a really twisted way i really enjoyed dealing with the challenges and having something new to deal with i'm not asking for it again i don't want it again uh but it was good and we were lucky so you know, I know a lot of businesses had it hard. For us, uh, people still needed insurance, you know, mandatory 
stuff and um and they had to buy it online and there was no option you know did so you see the health insurance like climb up people seeking health insurance just because they're afraid we saw two different things with health insurance actually so car spiked triple uh, for our business it was amazing the and that was over a kind of three-month period. It was it was crazy, and we were struggling to keep up with demand actually, um, and process all those additional policies. On health insurance, we saw two very specific threads. On one hand, the people who would normally only buy a policy just to renew their visa, right? So it's ticking a box, get the bare minimum. That fell away, right? Because you no, you 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 couldn't actually uh, get a visa anymore, right? There was a period where you just couldn't renew. So those people were dropped dropped away. But we definitely saw an uptick of people wanting a greater level of coverage. Um, whilst travel insurance obviously stopped for a few months, now what we're seeing is a big demand, and um, specifically around uh, travel COVID insurance. Cover. Yeah, because they're worried if like they go yeah. somewhere else and something happened. Yeah, yeah, uh, COVID cover essential. Um, you know, so yeah, two different threads. Uh, you know, whilst there was a big demand for car. Um, what we noticed actually is a lot of insurers, they felt this demand and, and they wanted to beat each other and they were offering lower and lower prices. So actually policy prices came down. So, you know, you're selling more, but the GMV doesn't necessarily climb with it. Um, but it's been good. Like we're really lucky. We, you know, we were really fortunate that uh, just before lockdown, I think it was just before lockdown, we closed around the funding. I, I got to tell you, there's... <laughs> There's no better time. Got to lucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we got lucky as well with our event because we did our event a week before uh, COVID started, like oh, a week really? before. I mean, before it, like it had started in China and there was talks about it and so on. But I remember we did the event and then I traveled the week after. And when I was away, that's when the whole thing just like exploded. Yeah. So oh if we were one week delayed, <laughs> we would have had and doing it having to cancel so close with a physical event it's yeah so we were lucky as well but i'm glad i'm glad you guys also managed to get that funding right in before how many no, scenarios did you have to do when covid hit <laughs> i gotta tell you like um you know we had some really tense meetings our management team you know it's because on one hand we might land this money and it would be amazing um, and it'll really keep us moving. On the other, if we don't land it, we're going into a, a, a period of uncertainty, probably going to be a hit on revenue in some parts of the business. Um, at that point, we didn't know, right, what was going to happen. And, you know, we had some really tense, you know, like really tense meetings where how do we save costs? I mean, all that means, it typically means, and lots of the big startups in, in the UAE-based it, it, it can mean reducing staff numbers. And um, and that's not never pleasant, right? That's never a pleasant conversation. Yeah, fire happen. people, yeah. It's, well, it's, 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 it's not even unpleasant. It's just disgusting having to think about letting people go. And, of course, you, you know, sometimes you have to do these things. And and, uh, and it was hard, you know, it wasn't pleasant. And, and even... You know what? Like uh, we took a hit with one part, one division specifically. So car insurance, insurance in general, spiked for us. But our banking side of the business really took a hit. And um, and you know, I was having to explain to the management team that yes, we just landed this money, but we still have to be uber cautious, right? We have to be really careful because we're taking a big hit here. Gross margin, uh, you know, a big a, a big contributor of gross margin to us is now starting to slip away. So. 
don't get too excited. Don't think we can start spending again. We have to control it. We have to we have to uh, use it like it didn't exist almost, you know. So so that was a hard balancing act as well. Um, but you know, we survived and we're here now. Um, and, and and I got to apologize to everyone who's watching this, but the, I'm just realizing the light is horrendous in this room. I look very. <laughs> this isn't sunburn. This is lighting. I yeah. promise. Um, you, you look good. You look good. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sitting here in a, in a very dark room with like two lights, like it. but cool. yeah, it's it's a studio in in out of like Studio City, Production City. I love in it, Dubai. Yeah, looks good. So, yeah, I mean, can you take me back a little bit when you first started? I mean, I think you basically, uh, you know, opposed to like you know the usual known that you should you know focus on your startup full time. You should not be doing two things at the same time. But you actually managed to do it, and and you were pretty successful at it. So you had a job, and then you started Yella Compare while keeping your job, your your kind of like safety net. Yeah, uh, you probably worked your ass off, but you're here. Yeah. So um, how do you do that? So uh, when I first moved to Dubai, it was I joined Property Finder. So at, at the time, Property Finder, you know, I gotta re, you know, for people who haven't been here that long, they don't realize maybe what it was like in 2011 dark ages in terms of digital in Dubai, right? So um, I remember how very little we were spending at Property Finder. And, you know, we I, I was the first person they'd hired in any kind of digital marketing capacity, right? So I was there to set up a team and start to build up these expertise, SEO, paid search, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, like every, I think, like every entrepreneur, um, the the business that I ended up creating was born out of necessity and, and just everything I could see around me. So, you know, um, I was new to Dubai and I was looking for a bank account. Who would I bank with and why? And I was thinking about, you know, do I want to get car finance and where would I get that? And frankly, in those days, the banks didn't have websites. And I mean, right. Or if they did, they had a one page website and no product information. It was just really dark ages. Right. So, um, what I was particularly good at back in those days, uh, those skills have slipped away now, but I was particularly good at, I guess, hacking Google, right? So I could build any website. I couldn't build, physically build it myself, but I could take any website and I could put a top in Google, any subject matter. It was Are you a developer originally? Or you're... No, so I, um, I can... So I can play around with little bits of code, but I'm not a developer. That's, that's not my game, but... What I knew how to do was the very simple, back in those days, it was very simple, the very simple methods of getting any website for any term, top of Google, right? So in the old days, you would search for any bank, any product, you're going to find what was then compared to me, what is now Yala Compare. Um, so so, so whilst working at Property Finder, I, I mean, probably six or eight weeks into my Property Finder history or, or journey, I started this business and it was going on in the background. And um, and I stayed at Property Finder for three years whilst building Yala Compare. And actually it was at Property Finder that I met my co-founder. How, how many years? How, three. Three, oh wow. Yeah. That's a um, long time. So listen, right? There's those days, right? Where um, like literally I wouldn't, my, my wife would go on holiday. I'm like, I can't, I gotta use this time to build the site. The weekends, Dinners, brunches, whatever it is, I can't do it. I'm building, right? So really hard work. Uh, Samra and I, my co-founder and I, we both had new babies as well. So, you know, jobs, new oh baby, new business. It was it was tough, man. And I've said before, but 
in those days, there was times where you were so stressed that, you know, there's almost no chance the revenue's ever coming. It's so far away. If someone had given me a hug, I would have just broke down, I think. And I mean that as well, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's graft, man. Like when, when, when I think about hustling, that I, I really think like what we did was we really hustled. And, you know, we talked about, the other day we talked about, well, what would you prefer to raise money or to do the way we did it? Look, in these days, you've got to remember 2011, I'm not even sure if Wander existed in 2011. I think they started a couple of years later. So Yeah, they had just started, yeah. It was very early on, yeah. There was nothing yeah. around. There's no step conference. There's no, like, uh, Wander. There's no ecosystem. I mean, uh, it was it was nuts, actually. It was really early, early days. So it was really tough. So it's not like we could just click our fingers, meet the 100 guys that might uh, see this or invest in us. It didn't exist. Um, so... You know, if I had to do it again, I'd rather be funded from day one, definitely. I think the advantages of what we did is it meant that, you know, by the time we did meet investors, we were quite far down in our journey. We had revenue. Um, you know, we had proven ourselves over a number of years. We had clients. And, you know, these clients are big banks regionally. So, you know, pros and cons. Um, I wouldn't choose this path if I had to do it again, though. Did you feel that you, you spent too long? Like three years is a long time. Did you ever feel that, you know, during those three years that, okay, this thing is not going to work. I'm just going to stick it in my job, try something Definitely. else, maybe. Definitely. Me and Sama, we clashed a couple of times because it's like desperate, right? You just like, I can't, you know, because basically what I would do is I would wake up and uh, I would work. So I'd wake up around six and I'd work for two hours uh, on the startup and then go to work to properly find that. Well, in that time, I'm obviously trying to spend time with my newborn daughter as well. So she's on my lap. And, um, and I remember very vividly splitting my screen, right? So I had YouTube on one side with like, I don't know, some cartoon, maybe Peppa Pig, whatever was available in those days. On the left and on the right is me doing my work. And, you know, but so, it, you know, it, it definitely, it adds flavor to the journey for sure. Uh, but again, maybe maybe not to be repeated. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's great. And so after that, you went on. So the thirty is when you left. Was that when you fundraised, or uh, was that before? Yeah. So um, we we had an offer of angel funding, and it was at that point that you know I was going to quit property finder. You know, um, up until that point, the kind of revenue was kind of lumpy, right? So it could support. By this point, Sam was always uh, I had already gone full time, so it could support him. Um, but it wasn't quite going to be enough. It was just enough for me to have a little bit of extra money every now and again, right? So uh, it wasn't until we raised the money in 2014. It was an angel round, uh, a total of $500,000. It wasn't until that point that I went full-time. Um, and, bef and before that, you were spending on the company as well? Like you guys had costs running for three for three years? Yeah, so, well, for the most part, it funded itself. In the last 12 months, it was almost, anyway, it was self-funded. For the first year or two, we had some costs, but very little, right? So, you know, when we built the first version of the site, it was WordPress. I used, you know, a freelance developer, probably cost me, <clears throat> I don't know, $1,000. And I used some freelance content writers, you know, so really like hacking it, you know, as bootstrap as you could ever be, you know, but we probably didn't spend more than, I don't know, five maybe ten thousand dollars we probably didn't spend more than that in total getting along good yeah that's the advantage of bootstrapping i think in one way or the other it makes you from day one be very frugal and, yeah. and focused on your costs versus yeah. you know you're starting up you get 
you know, a chunk of money and then you just have to feel like how, you, how you're going to spend it, you know, but when it's your own money at the beginning, yeah, it's like, it, it's, you kind of start with this mentality of being very focused on being cost efficient. Yeah, and Slammer, to this day, you know, holds that mentality. He's much better than I am. He's he's like a thousand dollars. What you know, like he really focuses on those thousand dollar spends, which is good. Which is really good. That's positive because you know, like I started off by saying, we just raised money. It's COVID. That doesn't mean you go gangbusters, bridges on Shakeside Road and radio. That doesn't mean you do that. You know, um, you know, we raised the money and we Im- immediately went into an efficiency drive. How can we continue? How can we make sure this money lasts us as long as possible? Because uh, as you look to the next year or two, I don't know, like how easy is it going to be to come by an investment? Not not forgetting that our stage of startup, it's really hard to raise anyway, right? You know, that awkward teenager kind of age. Um, there isn't a great deal of, of money at this stage anyway. Add to that then the possibility of, you know, uh, economic downturn globally, so, you know, for us, it's, you know, the drive for sustainability has never been greater, despite having, you know, millions in the bank. So that's nice. Yeah, so it's it's difficult, like, when you fundraise to be so focused on. I think, I feel like investors and start, like founders should make that a thing, that when you fundraise, first look at how you can cut cost, then look at how you can spend the money. Yeah, you know, because you kind of like have to go through that. Tell me about the time when you when you change your name. I think it's a lot of you know startups, uh, startup founders go through that either early on and later. You went through it at a pretty later stage. You were called Compare it for Me, and yeah. you were pretty established. And then you had to change your name. That must be scary, like having to you know people already used to your name and they know you, and then you know let alone the whole SEO and your website and all of that stuff. What happened? Tell us. Yeah, so look, uh, I, th- uh, I think we changed in maybe 2016. I think it was the rebrand. Uh, you know, so we were two years into having already received funding. So two years of spending millions of dollars, right, literally millions on growing the brand. Again, Shakeside Road, all the good stuff. But, you know, the name... We felt like, so we had regional aspirations. We, we knew we were going to want to start launching new markets and the name wasn't going to work, right? In, 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 in markets where English is the first, is the kind of business language, okay, it might work. But, you know, in somewhere like Saudi and Egypt, we just felt like Compare It For Me wasn't going to work. Um, add to that, um, you know, like we would hear customers would say it to us, like Compare Me For It or Compare IT it wasn't sticking, right? And and it was one day I remember hearing a call in the call center of a new agent that had just joined, and he said it wrong. And I just thought, you know, forget this, man. This is this is ridiculous. We, if our own team can't say it, we're done, right? So so uh, we so probably in 2015 we knew that we were going to change the name at some point, and we but it, so it literally took 12 months of us settling and feeling comfortable, and we didn't just click our fingers, right? We spoke to the board, we spoke to experts, we spoke to marketing people, we spoke to a lot of dialogue internally. We The, 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 the tipping point, though, was uh, we did an external survey. So we surveyed the market, not our customers, people who might know us, but maybe not know us, right? We didn't know. It was, it was third-party external. And um, it was a general insurance online kind of survey. So how do you buy your insurance? Um, have you heard of these companies, et cetera, et cetera? 
the companies that we mentioned, right? So we mentioned uh, Compared for Me, uh, a few competitors, a couple of insurance companies, and we threw in there Yalla Compare, right? Which didn't exist. It was a domain name that I owned. It did not exist as a business, had never traded. Um, the report was crazy. Thousands of people took the survey, and what it told us was Compared for Me uh, got the best brand recall. So Thank goodness, something was working because, you know, people were, were recognizing us as a brand and uh, recalled us more than any other brand. Good news. Um, the second best recall or most recalled was Yala Compare, which, you know, and it was it really didn't exist. It didn't, it didn't exist, exist at the time, yeah. <laughs> it really didn't exist. And, you know, we were like, this is crazy, but, you know, it does speak to people, right? For one, Yala Compare means go compare. You know, to anyone who speaks Arabic and they know what yalla means, it's something they say 10,000 times a day. Um, I'm a parent and you need to say yalla sometimes because get your coat, etc., etc. Even I say that now. So, and if you're, you know, English speaking or English first language, then the first, one of the first words you learn when you get to Dubai, apart from all those swear words, is yalla, right? So we knew it was going to speak to people, but it really, it, and the funny thing is it's the same number of characters as compared for me. It, it doesn't sound the same. It just, it's so much cleaner, Yellow Compare, right? So, uh, so that was the reason. In terms of the technical switch, um, it, it wasn't as hard as as you might think, right? I mean, you know, for one, if anyone searched for the brand Compare for me, which they continued to do for a good two years, it's only just really died off. Um, they would still find us, right? We you could we were still going to be the top in Google for Compare for me, and we were still going to bid on that term just to make sure that you found us, right? So. And we kept the colors the same as well. That was, we're only now thinking about the color change, but was, we wanted to make sure that the transition, if not by name, was at least by color and font. And, you know, these kind of things continued. Um, so, you know, we lost a little bit of ground SEO, um, but that doesn't last very long. So that was fine. You know, we had, we had one really scary moment, you know, um, you know, right before we were about to make the switch, technically make the switch and then make the announcement. Um, our lawyer flagged that someone had a similar name. Oh, we're like, oh my God, like what precautions do we take? It turned out, you know, we were good, right? We had the trademark, everything was covered. And then the, the end decision was, it's fine, we go live and it's been fine. Um, but yeah, you know, these kind of things, you can't, I think, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, I wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't use a lawyer, right? Why would you? I, I don't need a lawyer. We'll just get forgiveness rather than permission. Is that kind of attitude? And I think the, the further in you get, the more you kind of realize that you want that. You want the, the safety net, if nothing else. You, you want to know. That. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was this ad that you did. Was it like with the, with like a sheep or a camel or something that's like really memorable? What was it? A screaming goat. A, a goat, yeah. I'm going to try to look it up, actually. Once Please. Um, but, you know, people loved and hated that ad in equal measure, right? So... People were on Twitter like swearing, like, oh my god, this ad, and you know, um is it is it this one? I want to so play it. Might be scroll up, scroll up. Um if you go to our account, yeah, click on the other compare and then scroll down. Uh well it could be that one. Could be that one. Um maybe it's, all your Yeah. So look, um this I ad. Can you hear it? I think it's here. Just about hear it. <laughs> Same vibe. Yeah, so we did a bunch of <laughs> Basically, animals. That's, 
That's like so memorable. I remember it very well. You know, I was coming up for all the video. But I th- how did you come up with this? Ad? Who who came up with this idea? So oh, now, so now what, it's playing. Gonna stop it. That's it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that got three million views, right? That's yeah. So uh, you know, just that one video got three million, and I think they all did pretty well, actually. And in tip, right? So if you want to talk about bootstrapping, this is at a point. You know, we made those videos when we had money in the bank. Uh, I'm the voiceover, me entirely. Um, the vi- the the video editing was done in house. Took half an hour. Me and the video guy. Um, you were the voiceover for this one, or this was all of them. I'm oh, uh, the, okay. guy, the guy singing, the guy speaking. That's me. Um, you know, gotta have multiple. The, the, yellow, the, the one saying "yalla compare" as well. That's you. Oh no, compare. That's oh, me. there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, uh, you know, when 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 I tell people, you know, that in the early days of, of running a startup, I did everything from design a banner to I literally did everything. Sometimes even the voiceovers, right? So. Uh, yeah, so look, but that, that video cost zero, literally zero. It might have cost, it, oh, it might have cost $50 to buy the rights to the song or the something, right? But that was it, man. And, and it, it, it really struck a chord. What I liked about it was people hated it and they liked it. And hating yeah, exactly. it, I've got something yeah. on you. And uh, people were like, I remember there was a point where I think it was Taliban or someone else and people were like, on Twitter, they're like, oh my God, this Taliban ad is driving me crazy. And then somebody else, yeah, this bloody Yala Compare ad. Perfect. We win, right? You know, yeah, so- they remember it. Remember yeah. it, was, it was important. There was this, uh, you know, Dollar Shave Club, a very Dollar Shave Club. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, so their first video, uh, which like made them like get off the ground, I think it costed like $300. Super yeah. famous. That was like millions of views online. But yeah. same thing. It was the the founder, and he was like running around, you know, and 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 doing the video. Uh, but sometimes that works. Yeah, and look, one of our very early, you know, kind of cornerstones of the business was keep it simple, right? And just just get it done, you know. And it doesn't have to be over edited. It doesn't have to, you know. I've had a lot of video editing agencies approach me, wanting to charge me, you know, upward of a hundred, two hundred thousand dirhams. I'm like. Like really, we're good. To, to sit you through the creative planning and then the, the <laughs> storyboard. Yeah, a lot of storyboards and good stuff. Yeah, so you know, we um, actually there's another one that you know you shouldn't watch now, but later on, I would I would urge you to watch the video we put together for Halloween, and it was nuts. And again, it was just get everyone to dress up. One take, we walked through it. It took two hours of editing with me and the guy, and that's it, man. Like, and, and it's out the door, and it got loads of views. So I think you can. You, obviously, you can spend a lot of money, and if you're going to put a big ad on Shakespeare Road, you should probably hire a professional, not me. But you know, sometimes you can just kind of uh, you can just kind of make your work on a shoestring, and, and it can have equal results. I think. How, how do you differentiate in that throughout the different you know phases of your business between what you do in house, what well, well, one what you do yourself, what you get others to do, or what you do in house versus what you get someone else to do? Yeah, uh, I think there's always dilemma as a like startup founder, kind of make decisions on you know these things. For me, I still haven't got the balance right of, you know, I'm still too hands on in in a lot of things. So for me, you know, if someone said they wanted to be our SEO agency, I just there's no like we're gonna do it. It's fine, right? And um, 
you know, traditionally we haven't been great at taking uh, external support um, just because we really believe in the people we've hired, right? And we hire them because we think they can do a job. Now, obviously, if we're lacking in skills, then we'll take external support. And I think we're quite good at recognizing that. But traditionally, we've been hands-on, do it yourself, and, and I've been more hands-on. And particularly like with marketing, like that's my background. That's what I've done, you know, you know, since I was 18. So, uh, you know, I'm 36 now, uh, sadly. So, so for me, I'm never going to want to export that. I'm never going to want somebody else to do marketing, right? Um, even design, we're building an office in Abu Dhabi at the moment. And it's going to be like an R&D hub. Um, but the designer, I still want them with me. You know, I still want them next to me. You know, it's not the right attitude. It isn't. You shouldn't be able to work remotely, but I want that person, girl or guy, them with me. So we can, because creativity doesn't happen at 5 p.m. when you have that meeting book, right? Creativity happens. Now it's happening, right? Let's go. And I need to grab the team and we'll talk and we'll spit all ideas. And sometimes it works and sometimes, well, more often it does, it does work. So I like to have everyone, everyone around me. It was actually one of the hardest things I found about uh, COVID and lockdown, you know, was, you know, you had a 9 a.m. catch up meeting with the, with the management team and uh, then there's another meeting at this time. And, and, you know, when, when you're live talking to someone and you've got an idea and you want to grab someone and pull them in, they want to call, they're doing something out. Like I found that really yeah. hard. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that will ever work online. There's a few startups working on something. There's one called Tandem, but I think they're doing it in a way where you can be, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I haven't actually played around with it, but you can kind of see like your colleagues and then, you can just kind of like grab them for a minute, you know, like you do in, in real life. You don't need to schedule yeah. a Zoom call. And then you can see what they're actually working on if they're viewing a certain doc or they're looking at different things. But yeah, like you said, I don't know. For, for me, I feel like a, a, a balance is good. I, I don't think I'd want to go back to work from an office every single day. And it seems that the majority of people, that's what they feel uh, as well. So where are you working at? You're from home? Yeah, now like we've been yeah working from home for a long time. Since like maybe two three weeks ago, we started doing once a week from the office, like everyone to come in, and then other days if someone wants to go, they can go and work from the office. But if we go back to uh, like after COVID, we probably just do like two days from the office. I mean, the advantage of that. So there's there's few things. We have a remote team as well, like working from Beirut, and then. Mm -hmm. We've tried to ha hire people in other places. And when you have everyone in office, if you try yeah. to hire people in other remote offices, they're going to be, they're going to feel left out. Yeah. Totally. So while the advantage of when you have everyone working remotely, no one feels left out. Everyone feels, yeah. you know, even if you hire someone in like a market that you have no one in, they're going to feel like everyone else. They're not going to feel that they're disconnected from the team because the team is doing stuff together in the office and I'm sitting, you know, I don't know. So, there are some some good things and bad things, but I feel, you know, just on a personal like, you know, personally, just doing like my job, you know, I I, I feel I'd rather, I enjoy like working from home many days. Before I, I didn't used to like it because there was always like this guilt or like just like feeling that oh you're sitting at home, you know, I need to be in the office because your whole team is in the office, or so you don't really stay at home. Last week, uh, last week I had two days off. I booked two days. Imagine, wow! Um, I did one day, and I was in the office the next day, seven thirty. Here we go. I can't. For me, I'm addicted to the office. I like this environment. I'm in my office right now. In fact, I could be home. Actually, the challenge I found with, uh, during lockdown was I've got an eight-year-old daughter, 
and she was being homeschooled and it was an absolute nightmare, you know, because she, yeah, 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 that's she true. Like, yeah. Needs, I don't... doesn't want to be told, right? She wants to do her own thing and she's yeah. more, she's more creative than sitting down. So that was, that was a real challenge. My wife, she, she was the rock star in that situation. I'm afraid I failed at homeschooling. Uh, yeah, thankfully, my wife is significantly better than me. Yeah, I, I feel everyone with, with kids, like majority of people with kids have struggled with like all of that. They kind of like want to be back at the office, want their kids back in school or whatever. But though I don't have kids yet. So so that's why I think yeah, it's different. It's definitely different experiences uh, altogether. But, you know, overall, I think just the fact that it's it's it creates more of uh, flexibility while being productive i feel i feel that's also like interesting yeah look the one thing i should say is whilst i prefer the face-to-face interaction my team completely rocked it uh working from home not a single person that i think ah, oh, they're not working i didn't have one doubt i swear and it was that was lovely it was really cool because you know i don't know like the size company we are, you always think like, well, if I'm not doing it, that's the wrong attitude. But if I'm not doing it, it's not happening. It's completely wrong. I've got a big, mar- I've yeah. got a big marketing team and they're very capable and they tell me as much as I tell them how this is going to work. So the, the, the team nailed it. They were absolutely amazing and um, no complaints there. I just prefer that, you know, touchy-feely, you know. The, the, the thing that I like, that I really missed from Zooming everyone, that I really get back now with face-to-face management meetings is, you know, the management meeting isn't just about sharing numbers and projections and project status. It's bonding as well, right? We have a laugh. My management meetings are crazy. They're really fun. Um, and I like that. And I want the guys to enjoy that. Well, sometimes they're fun, you know, sometimes they're tense. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we have a lot of fun. And, I, you know, it'd be a shame. And I felt like, you know, distance, it was, it was much harder. Um, but we, as a company, we're back. I think pretty much everyone is back now. Um, but one of our biggest challenges actually was running the call center during COVID, right? So running the call, running a big, big call center from people's houses. And again, we were hitting record numbers. So uh, they nailed it. I, th- I think, and I've thought about this quite a bit, but I think like, apart from the fact that the team, they knew, and I, I rallied the troops. I told them, guys, this is the time we need you most now. This isn't the time to be at home goofing off. This is the time where we got to fight together, right? We have to we have to make this through and we'll make it through together. Um, apart from that, I think like, you know, that, that that pride, people wanted to prove that I can work from home. Like, you know, you don't, I don't need to be managed. But I think a lot of, there was a lot of that, so, which is good. In general, many of the employees like enjoy that. I feel like people, like you're saying, like I can, I can be like responsible, get the job done. But for your customer support center, were they like all from home? And yeah. they had like a spike in demand? Every single person in the call center worked from home. Um, we had uh, some scary moments because we had huge backlogs, people buying more policies than we've ever sold in a single day. And the backlog was was scary, you know. Um, so it was all hands on deck. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they nailed it. They did really well. Uh, no complaints at all. You know, and now... We're even thinking about the future. What does the future of work look like? Do we have a big office? We've got a pretty big office, and we were talking about expanding. We're definitely not going to expand that office now. Um, Like you were saying about remote working, we need to get better at it anyway because we've got an office in Egypt. We're soon to have an office in Abu Dhabi. 
we're about to launch something in India. Like, so we need to be good at remote work. And we need, that was the thing that, that I think we struggled with when we opened the Egypt offices. How do we maintain this kind of fun atmosphere? Because the culture, Dubai, yeah. Yeah, because in Dubai, well, you know, you can have an outbreak of carnage and it's in, in a good way. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. And how do you kind of send that over to Egypt? And actually, when we open our Abu Dhabi office, where we've asked from our Dubai office who would be interested in moving down there, and actually quite a few are. And I'm really happy with that because it means that all the new people that we hire in Abu Dhabi, they're going to be sitting side by side with people who've been with us for one, two, three years, four years. And, you know, the, the culture can can move with those people down to Abu Dhabi and we can maintain that. that, that that's that smart. Group. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a good idea because that's a big challenge, like when you're opening up different offices. What's the culture for you? How, how what's Yalla compares culture? How do you define a culture? Yeah, um, look, we have a lot of fun. Uh, we're all about execution, right? Um, we we understand that execution will make the difference between us and the competition. You know, when you consider that most of our products are commoditized products that lots of other people could sell. Um, you know, for us, we know it's about execution and customer service and and these these kind of threads we're always pulling back to, you know. So um, the, when it comes to customer care, we really, we go over and above, I think. You know, if we make a mistake, the customer gets the policy for free. I don't want to advertise that, but, you know, um, you know we, we, to make 2,000 dirham, to make a customer unhappy, no. The network effect of that is not worth it, right? So, yeah, and... Um, like I say, it's, it's for us. It's about execution. We understand that, you know, it. When people say uh, knowledge is power, you know, I don't know if you've read that that twelve-week uh, yearbook. You know, it's kind of a, a model that we yeah. follow. And in that book, he he mentions that uh, knowledge is power. But uh, the example he gives is that everyone knows that you should work out more and you should eat less, but yet most people don't. Right. So knowledge is power but it's useless if you don't execute if you don't plan so so for us we have a we run in 12 week cycles and the idea is that you treat every 12 weeks like you would the last 12 weeks of the year the last week 12 weeks of the year is when you do your most sales it's when you're your most productive because you, you're shitting yourself trying to get everything done before the end of the year well that end of year comes around every 12 weeks for us right so so that so we like that um Luckily, we'd, we'd really doubled down on that kind of methodology a couple of weeks before lockdown. We didn't know lockdown was coming, but we, we you know, we, Interesting. We doubled, yeah, we doubled down. We hired a really good project guy, uh, planning and strategy guy who, who kind of owns that. And the timing couldn't have been any better. I wish I'd, I wish I'd had inside information and planned it. I didn't. It just really lucky. Um, yeah. So that's- you, you, t- you told me uh, when we spoke last week about, you know, n- like people not having emotional attachment to things that they do, like in case, you know, many, many times you go into things and then, you know, if you feel that they're not working, you just pull the plug immediately. But that's quite difficult for people. Do you feel that's like your culture more your approach or is that more across the company that people have adopted it? Does your own like way of doing things end up being your culture as well as a founder? I don't know. I think so. So um, to explain the way I work is when I think about the next six months, 12 months, I think about the objectives. And ultimately, the objective is sell more, you know, grow X, Y, Z, uh, 
get more margin, whatever it is for every, for every company, right? But let's just say it's sell more. That's the objective, right? But, but what can trick people, I think, is that they think that if they start, if they launch a project, build a new product, let's say, right? They think that's the objective. The objective is to finish the project. It's not. The project, the thing that you're building is a tactic to get to your objective. So for me, I'm not, I'm not emotional about the project, the tactic. All I care about is do we get to where we need to be at the end of the day, right? So for me, it's never a straight line. As a startup founder, it's never a straight line. You're always zigging, zagging. And it's the, the key though is do you get to where you need to be, right? So so and I warn people when I interview them uh, that this is how we work, right? That sometimes we might be four months into a project. And you know, of course, you start a project with the best intentions, you think you've done all the kind of research that you needed to do. And actually, six months in, three months in, whatever it is, new information comes up. You find out that actually the market isn't ready. You find out that the regulator in that market won't allow it. You find out something that means that project is now not going to help you get to your objective. It isn't now going to be viable. For me, no emotions there, completely cold. Um, Kill it. Immediately, we move on to the next thing. Now, I think some people find that really hard. It's, It's wrenching, right, to to commit yourself to a project and then the boss, the big bad boss says, we're stopping that now. Now, as best as you can, you try and get them to get to that decision themselves, right? Through a series of meetings. But sometimes you just have to say, it's not going to work and we move on and it's okay. No. Uh, uh, how do you deal with it though? Like with from a staff point of view, like someone might get demotivated. I've been working on this for for. For you and like also me as a fan, like we, we ski it as okay. The, the objective is like more, you know, where to get the, the the company and so on. It's not just a project, but for yeah. someone who's I don't know in a specific role, for them that project is 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 a lot. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like their first project if they're like a fresh grad, or you know, it might be a very important project in their career that they're looking at, and then they're seeing it getting whatever it is. My question is, how do you deal with that, like emotional? Like, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of, and I, I agree with that. Uh, and it probably is difficult for you even to not be emotional, emotionally attached to 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 your product and the project. But how do you get others to feel like in the, in the same way uh, and kind of like get over it? You know, uh, if it's a certain project. <laughs> Yeah, so look, the first step is, again, I warn people from day one that this might happen. And you hire a certain attitude and a certain, but but it doesn't stop, right? You know, inevitably, people will become attached to that project and they want to see that happen. This is what they've spent evenings and weekends on and they've pushed really hard for it. But ultimately, it, it comes down to this simple conversation, right? Where we, again, we go over the idea that the project isn't the objective. The objective is we need to grow the revenue. And if we launch this project, it's not going to move us any closer to our objective. So, you know, it is just having about honest conversations. And, you know, I guess uh, I'd have to ask HR if, if this really has lasting impact on people. I don't think it does. I think, I, I think um, you know, because most people in our company, probably like a lot of smaller startups, you know, they're, they're juggling 10 projects anyway. They probably love to offload a project or two, you know? So, um, you, you know, the, the, the key thing, though, is as a business, we are trying to make those decisions to kill something as quickly as we can, and we're building it as cheaply as we can, right? So even if we've spent six months in calendar months working on something, 
the cost to us is, is absolutely minimal because the guy or girl running that project is running two or three other things. So it's 20%, 30% of their time, right? So it's pretty inexpensive as it goes. The tech, that's where it gets really painful, actually, is because, you know, you've only got so many uh, engineers in your team. They've only got so many hours in a day. That's where this, yeah. I think now we're, we're getting much better as a team, as an organization, at, evaluating something and being really brutal. So we have very regular sessions where it's like prioritization. It's like, okay, we love this project. We still love it. However, if you want to launch these two other things, which are really quick wins and they will have an impact, um, we got to bump this. And actually the last 12 months have been really hard for bumping things, right? Because we've launched huge projects, huge uh, partnerships with Etisalat, uh, VFS, the, um, the visa registration guys, uh, ADIB, RTA, these projects, they were vortex. They, they sucked all of our teams in, right? So so then you kind of come up with a bit of a, a tech deck, right? You know, you're almost not working on any, you, you leave maintenance behind, you leave general basic updates to your own website behind because you get sucked into these huge projects. But now we're being a bit more aggressive and a bit more selfish, I suppose. Wanting, wanting to make sure that we spend our time doing things that will improve our business, you know, so... And and how do you like so like now and before how do you prior like put set priorities in terms of features or things that you need to build uh, and differentiate that between what you think uh, as as a founder is needed for the product now versus what your customers are asking for? Uh, I think that's one of the most challenging things, especially when building a tech product. Is is you know, you're always building. There's so much to build, and there's so many features and different things to add. Uh, but what's worked for you? In terms, is it trial and error? Is it, you know, what you believe that you know that needs to be there, or what customers are asking for, specifically, no. specifically on 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 the product and on the tech? Probably like a lot of expats in the region often I've got sucked into the idea that my idea, the idea I've seen in other markets, that's the idea, right? That will work. Forget that. It, it, like Very rarely does something export into this market. And actually, I always say to people outside of this region, maybe I'm speaking to new investors or just regular Joes that I speak to, um, I always say that actually what we built with Yala Compare, it, it's not reinventing any wheel. That There's no... There's no skill necessarily. It's almost copy-paste to what they would do in the UK. The skill, though, the, the, the real skill is that we've regionalized it, right? We didn't just take Go Compare, launch it in Dubai. It wouldn't work. And actually, their model is quite different. Um, the, 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 the localization, that's the, that's the trick, right? And, you know, that can be as simple as having a call center. In the UK, you'd never have a call center. Why would you bother, right? It's, it's, it's the last thing you need. Here, though, they want it, right? Uh, to get back to your question around how do we decide certain projects, um, it, it, you know, for us, it always comes back to, is it going to grow our revenue? Is it going to improve our margin? Is it going to help our customers? So is it, is it going to differentiate us from the competition? So those three pillars, if it doesn't, if something doesn't really help one of those three things, you, you know, you got to really question it, right? So um it's something that we talk about in management meetings, making sure that those three things are front and center, that the 12-week goal for the next, you know, uh, the next 12 weeks, um, that we remember what we're trying to achieve in those 12 weeks and what we're working on, does it really impact that? So, so it's, it, it, makes, it makes it a far less emotional meeting when 
when you can just refer back to these things. I mean, margin for us now is so important, right? Um, we we have to become more sustainable, as does every Are startup. Are profitable now? No, so we're not at the moment. Uh, we were getting really close, actually, just before COVID. We raised money. Obviously, we're, we're, we're more focused on growth again now. But I think, you know, it's not going to be like the old days. Raise money, blast it all on on, on hyper-growth. We're not interested in that. We're, obviously, we'd love some hyper-growth if we could get it for free. But more, more now, the first thing we did, actually, when we raised, as I said, we looked into how we could save. The second thing we did is we, we looked internally very critically and we said, where's our skill set? Uh, where are we? We ranked ourselves for data utilization, right? So um, how good are we are utilizing the data that we have? Um, how, how good is our tech for what our customer needs and versus the competition and versus where we would love to be, aspirationally, where we would want our tech to be? Um, and, and actually, to be honest, when we looked internally, we, we were all disappointed with where we were, which is cool, right? Because, you know, on one hand, we just raised money. So we've impressed someone and we haven't just impressed anyone. We've impressed um, an industry heavyweight, someone that we would love to have on board. Um, so we've impressed them, but we're not happy. We're not with the goal. You know, we're not there, right? So, so now, before we really start to dig into that lovely war chest that we've just acquired... We want to make sure that we're ready to make best use of it. So again, if we can capture a customer, if we can bring them in, if we can show them a product and a service that they like, um, then hopefully they're gonna they're gonna want to come back, and and it makes it cheaper to acquire the next customer, and and so on and so on. So um, so that's kind of the goal. I think one of the first things that occurred to us is that we were almost mono product. We were almost just car insurance which is a once a year product, unless you're lucky enough to be able to buy a car every couple of months or twice a year or whatever it is, or you have more than one car. But for the average customer that we were speaking to, we got to speak to you once a year, which is not enough, right? It's really hard to stay front of mind when we don't yeah. speak to you for 12 months. So now we, you know, we've started to launch more and more products so that we can be in your home and we can help you in more stages of your life, right? Whether that's home insurance, watch insurance, uh, or, or any other kind of insurance. And, and insurance, oh, sorry. A little bit off topic, but what do you think of uh, Tesla's car insurance uh, approach since like car insurance is pretty big for you guys? I mean, it's 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 really smart. I expect more and more people to do it. I think um, it's some way from threatening our business, I would think, purely on the basis that whether Tesla like it or not, and I am one of the saddos that put a deposit down for the uh, for the Cybertruck. I'm one Me of Me too. Uh, <laughs> it was $100, know. but yeah, might as well. Have you ever had a single update from them? No. But anyway. I, I, ne- I, never, I never thought I'd buy a truck in my life. Like, I always yeah. hated trucks until I saw that one truck, you know? That truck is cool. I need that. It track. is. It's amazing. What is I got I ride motocross in the desert, and there was one oh, nice. one ad or video where they drove an ATV up the back, and I'm like done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so um, but I think you know for the most part it's a very expensive acquisition, right? And if I think back to my hometown in Wales, that is some it's probably generations away from Tesla being affordable, right? Really now they, that's not coming anytime soon, right? Whether whether they banned fossil fuels forever teslas aren't going to be affordable in my hometown in wales if i think about the average person in the middle east 
you know, a $50,000 Tesla. That's not happening anytime soon, right? So, uh, but I agree with the idea, the idea that they're able to track the way that you drive, the way that you brake, the way that you accelerate, the way that, you, and, and the amount of times that you use that car, right? I mean, imagine during COVID, people weren't driving their cars and yet car insurance is the same cost. It's not right. Yeah. It's something that we're Because they, you know, you can't collect insurance. Most, you know, Insurance drivers can't collect real-time insurance on, on, on their users. So you yeah. don't know what's going on. I mean, the only thing you can know is what car they're driving, what color, try to like make some analysis based on historical data, but that's where it stops. While what's what's interesting about you know Tesla's insurance model is because they're the only car that's connected. So they can not only like see how much how fast you're driving they can know what song you're listening to while you're driving and what street and it which street it, it is scary but you know as a as a user if it can bring your your insurance costs down because i mean here we don't pay a lot for insurance probably you know what is it like hundred yeah it's 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 yeah it's pretty pretty minimal but in the us while you're paying Five hundred dollars. If you have like a fancy car, you can pay a thousand plus a month, not a year, a month. That's a lot of money, you know. In the UK, yeah. it, it you know it, insurance. If you were going to buy a new car, particularly when you're young, you know, when you're in your twenties, the first thing you'd have to do is work out can I even afford the insurance? I remember my first car. The excess was double or triple the price of the car. Right, you know that that's how aggressive it is, and actually, you're trained in the UK. You're trained very early on: never crash, never claim. You will be ruined for the next five years or three years, whatever it is. So yeah, there's and you know the, the so whilst Tesla has that built in, there is obviously the option in, in in other markets, which would be telematics. The problem that we would traditionally see with telematics is that only the best drivers opt in. So it doesn't really serve the purpose that insurers would want it to. You know, they don't really get to find out about the bad drivers. So, um, so yeah, um, you know, we definitely see actually, you know, this kind of pay as you go is something that we're looking into. Apart from other insurances, you know, COVID made us look at how we can support people better. And and you know, when we see the number of cars that weren't on the road, they kind of it's kind of getting back to normal now, right? But when you see the cars that weren't on the road during the last few months, you realize that something's got to change. So hopefully we'll tackle that and a bunch of other things in the near future. Nice. Uh, and so right now, where are you in your fundraising, which you did your Series B, or is that your Series B, the last one? Yeah, we're still B. We've got one more part to that, which I was really hoping we'd have had wrapped up by this chat, but um, I think that'll get signed in the next few days. And I think that will be Series B wrapped up then. So, um, so Series B for us was it'll turn out with this extra little bit that comes, it'll turn out to be around fifteen million dollars raised in Series B, um, and a total of eighteen and a half, nineteen million raised since we started. So um, N- next year will be like ten years since you've started. Yeah, let's compare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, which is crazy. You know, when I think back, and you know what's really funny. I, uh, I love telling people this. I told Fadi, Fadi Gandor this as well. Or maybe I did, maybe I told Faris. But um, I remember telling my wife, you know, I want to raise money and da-da-da. And she's like, oh, I've heard about this guy, Fadi Gandor. 
And I'm like, come on, he's never going to invest in us. Forget that, you know, and they were part of our Series A, so, which was really cool because, of course, for still is today. And in those early days, Faddy was a superstar and is a superstar, right? And he was the, the ticket you wanted, you know, and I, I, I love the Faddy knows my name. I still love that. I still think I still geek out about it. And yeah. I, I still love the idea that it seemed unattainable that, the, the you know, the great Faddy Gando would invest in our tiny business. So, yeah, you know, it's been a crazy 10 years, um, you know, a, a wild ride, loads of ups, loads of downs. The fact that I have co-founders makes it bearable and makes it significantly easier. And for, for any debate or argument that you might have, you have 20, 30, 40 times more good times and 40 times more reasons why you appreciate them, you know? So I remember actually we, when we closed the Kipco deal, uh, uh, Jonathan phoned me, the deal is signed, right? And this is at a time where, can we survive? You're literally having those conversations, right? Are we going to survive for the, you know, for the rest of the year even? Jonathan phones me, the deal is signed. I phoned Sama, Sam, someone I've been, I, who I've known since 2000, who we've been in business building this since 2000. I could barely speak for 30 seconds, you know? Like, yeah, I, was so, I was so cut up and it, it was like, it was months of like nervousness and pain and, you know. It's, it's massive like highs and ma like deep lows, you know, like. Yeah, within, within a day, you, you start the day, you're going to be a billionaire. Then midway through the day, we're going to be shut down tomorrow. And then, yeah. you know, like you have this wild ride. And actually talking about that wild ride, we closed Kipco money. We announced it to the public. We're rock stars. We're amazing. The very next day, the regulator, the insurance regulator here in Dubai says six months, every aggregator needs to be uh, regulated. Holy shit. Like now what are we going to do? Panic, panic, panic. Now it's fine. We're acquiring a broker. We're going to be fine, but we're only going to be fine because we raise money because we, now we've got the money to acquire a broker to become regulated. But you know, like just you're at the top of that mountain for, for seconds and then you're going to get ripped right back down again. You know, it's, it's like snakes and ladders basically. So, um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a big, big wild ride for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. It was great having you. We're running out of time, uh, but this has been amazing. It's been good. Thanks for coming oh, on. Oh, thank it's you. Great having you. We didn't speak about your beverage. You spoke about Metti. Oh, right? yeah. Metti, Metti. That's it. That's, I'm drinking it right here. What is it? Well, it's probably cold by now. It's usually it drank warm. So Metti is, is a South American... Uh, mainly Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, and south of Brazil. That's where it's from originally. It's it's like tea, but it has more caffeine in it, and it's a, like an antioxidant. So I started drinking drinking that. Yeah, I was I was drinking coffee before, but you know, it's it's more as coffee is very acidic. It can mm. be like I said, this is this is better. And I switched to that. And this is you know famous in certain parts, like the mountain parts of Lebanon. Like oh, Syria right. and some part, it was brought here in some way from so South America. I don't know how. So, so yeah, that's that's the name for the series, and that's that's the drink here. Next time when COVID is over, we can do this again. Like, and you can be here in the studio with me, and we can drink it together. I'd love that. I'm ready for it. Can you buy it here? Yeah. You buy? Yeah, yeah, you can. They sell it in some places. I mean, it's it's very like if you've seen probably like you'll see pictures of like Messi or like other know big football players from south america drinking that like right before the game I mean, in argentina it's like no religious way. like every day they drink it everywhere you know okay cool uh, yeah, i love it I'm in.
For sure. Good talking to you. All right, mate. Great to speak Thank to you. Congrats you. again on the day and good luck for the next few, yeah? Thank you very much. All, right, mate. All the best. Bye.